we are unique in the way of how we treat our clients, how we treat each other, how we act and behave in our communities, how we feel about our communities. Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at mittenmoney.com. What's going on, everyone? I hope you are having a great day out there so far. I am so excited to be bringing you yet another great episode of Mitten Money. I couldn't be more ecstatic to invite on TriStar's new CEO, Pavel Kaneshi, on the podcast today. Pavel provides us with a unique lens into his background and shares what really helped him get to his current position at TriStar today. So for instance, did you know that he was born in the Czech Republic? He was once a nationally ranked tennis player, or that he originally thought that he'd be going into the engineering field versus finance. We dive into that and so much more. So welcome, Pavel, to Mitt Money. So Pavel, let's go way back with your background. I think it'd be really useful for context for the listeners. You weren't always in the U.S., and so how exactly did you end up playing tennis at Northwood in Midland, Michigan? That's actually a pretty interesting story. So I grew up in the Czech Republic. In Czech Republic, during communism, I had to learn two languages besides Czech. I had a choice between German and English, and then I had to learn Russian. I selected German because Karlovy where I'm from, is like 30 miles from Germany. And back then, we only had four channels on our TV. Two of them were Czech channels and two of them were German channels. So I figured it only made sense for me to learn German to be understanding and be able to watch movies and sports on TV. After communism fell, I was no longer required to learn Russian. I picked up English, but only had maybe, call it less than a year of English instruction. I didn't speak any English. Let's just be honest. One day I was walking through my high school and there was just this tiny little note. It wasn't even a three by five card. I'm talking, it was like three by three little note. And it says, if you speak English and play tennis, go talk to their superintendent. That was it. And I thought to myself, I don't speak English, but I play tennis. And I just assumed that somebody just wants a lesson in tennis. And I figured I could do that by showing people as opposed to having to speak. And then I go and talk to the superintendent. He sent me all over the place. And I ended up with a superintendent of a business high school not to get into too much detail, but the educational system is a little different in Czech Republic is you actually have specialized high schools. And so I went to a superintendent of a business high school who came back from Northwood, where he was for six months. Northwood, after communism fell, opened up their doors and basically said, we want to give you people opportunity to learn about the American way of life, the American philosophy of business, et cetera, et cetera. So they opened it up and invited people. So I talked to the superintendent and the superintendent said, yeah, they're looking for tennis players at Northwood. It was a foreign concept for me because in Czech Republic, back then it was actually Czechoslovakia, sports, athletics, and education is separated. So it's never been tied together. So when you go to school for education, and then you're a member of a club, and you represent a club for sports. So he started explaining to me the whole concept of NCAA and NIA, and none of it made any sense to me. But I also felt there would have been a tremendous opportunity for me and at the time, I was going into engineering, and I was going to be in microelectronics or artificial intelligence. And then they said Northwood Institute at the time was the Northwood Institute, now Northwood University, was business management, marketing management. And I had no intention of going into business at the time, but I thought 
I'll go over, I learn the language, I learn the way the United States is the economic superpower. So I'm going to learn about economics and I will learn about business and it's all very transferable. So I'll go over, get whatever I need to get my education and I come back to Czech Republic. I had no idea where Midland, Michigan was. I didn't know anything about Northwood. I didn't know anything about NCAA, Division One, Division Two, Division Three. None of that made any sense to me. All I knew is Northwood, business management, marketing management, English, and I would have a full ride, room and board tuition. So that's all I knew. Back then, it's not like I could hop on Google and Google it. All I know is at the time, Northwood Institute was the number three ranked small private business school in the country for business management, marketing management. So I knew I was going to get a quality education. Just a little anecdote, a little nugget. Before I came, I asked the question, where is Midland? And they said, Midland is two hours north of Detroit. So as being European, my first thought, who the heck does distances in hours? Like, how does that even work? Why can't you just give it to me in kilometers? Or if you use miles, I can translate it to see for distance, but give me point of reference. I asked some follow-up question, being the engineer at hardest. So what's the speed limit, et cetera, started to figure out what the distance is from Detroit. And then I was trying to figure out what the weather was going to be like in Midland, Michigan. So I went around the globe. And so I pointed where Midland is, and I went around the globe to Europe to, to be able to compare it. It just happens to be that Midland is the same, was a longitude as central Italy. So Needless to say, I thought, oh, this is awesome. Uh, this is going to be warm over there. And I came here on November 20th, 1992. And three weeks later, we had like foot and a half of snow. So that's the story of me getting to the United States. Yeah, certainly a little bit of a shock from Italy. I'm sure that some areas of Italy could get some snow from here or there, but very nice place to go visit throughout the year. In college, obviously, you bring a lot of experience coming from the Czech Republic with your English background, business background, and also being able to go play tennis and throughout your whole time there, have this incredible tennis career. And in doing research for the podcast, with all this talent in tennis, what made you interested in pursuing still a career in finance and banking versus pursuing a career in tennis? There's a couple of things. I actually never knew that I wanted to go into banking and finance. And when I got my degree, it was business management, marketing management. And then at the time, I realized I was pretty well-rounded, but what was speaking to me was just numbers. And when I graduated with my master's and people asked me, what did I want to do? I said, numbers just speak to me. I would like to just go in a business where we deal with money. And that's how I ended up in banking and finance. But to answer your question, I was a good tennis player. And I think I was good enough to give it a shot to try to become a pro. But I was never good enough to make it to top 100 in the world. And I knew... The way the system is set up, especially here in this country, unless you're really a star tennis player when somebody's going to get behind you and provide you with sponsorship, you got to do everything on your own dime. You got to go travel the country. You got to go to all these tournaments and then you really just have to give it a shot. And I thought about it, but then I realized that the likelihood of me making it big and making a career out of it, it was very small. I also had some elbow, shoulder issues. But that's really not the reason. I was good enough to get my degree, but I don't think I was good enough to actually make a career out of playing tennis. And then it also gave you a really good launching point to coming over here, not only to America, help complete your degree, but then after graduation, you stay in the area, stay in Midland. Hopefully at this point now, you realize that the geographic area is not like Italy, very much like Michigan, maybe a little bit colder. And you join a well-known community bank that was headquartered here in Midland. And you end up working there for almost 20 years. Working there for such a long time, you can somewhat see where your future's at. What prompted that shift for you to ultimately come over to TriStar? 
when I joined Chemical Bank, I had a really nice career path lined up for me. And it was a tremendous organization. And when I became a treasurer, the next step for me career-wise was potentially being the CFO of the organization. Things were lined up pretty well. And Chemical Bank went through a transaction with Tomer Bank and Trust. And there were some changes that took place during that transaction where the path wasn't as clear for me. There were still plenty of opportunities, but the path wasn't as clear But I was still committed to being at Chemical Bank. And it was actually Larry Preston, the co-founder of TriStar, who approached me out of the blue and started talking to me about TriStar. And one of the things that he mentioned to me is that he was about to retire. And then the other co-founder, Gene Pickleman, was going to retire as well within a certain period of time. It's four or five years. And that they were looking for the next leader who could take over the organization and move it to a whole new level. And to be perfectly honest, I never really intended to be the CEO. I was asked when I was at Chemical Bank if I had interest in being the CEO. And I always said no for a variety of reasons. It's incredibly huge responsibility and I take things very seriously. It was just really heavy responsibility and I wasn't quite sure what I had it in me. But when Larry started talking to me about it, there was a little bit of a shift in my thought process and I liked to challenge myself. And I said, you know what, I would like to earn that opportunity to step into that role. So the more conversations I had with Larry, the more conversations I had with Gene, I had conversation with the executive board of TriStar, I had conversations with the senior leadership of TriStar. I realized that what the company stood for, it was speaking to me, it was so the way Chemical Bank used to be, very community-oriented, very people-focused, very client-centric. It was really the culture of the organization was really speaking to me. And so when the opportunity presented itself, I decided because I felt that at TriStar from a career and professional and personal growth gave me the best opportunity to continue to grow. No, I could certainly see that. And change can definitely be difficult at time. And it's crazy to believe that it's already been almost six years since you joined TriStar. And so Over that time since the middle of 2018, one of the things I've personally noticed is that you've done a lot to invest in the younger employees, the younger employees who may be fresh out of college or maybe have two or three years experience, which if you think about it from if you're in senior leadership, obviously you want to invest in your future, but you put a really heavy emphasis in investing in people, especially within their future. And so why do you play such a high emphasis within investing in people's future like that? There's a couple of reasons, and these are not in any particular order, but it does give me joy to see a person grow, to see it and to be able to say, and it's not about me, but to be able to say, I had something to do with it, that I was able to positively impact somebody's life by giving them opportunities, sharing wisdom, sharing knowledge, having conversations. It's very rewarding to me. But I also looked at it from a standpoint of our organization as TriStar, and we're unique. We are unique in the way of how we treat our clients, how we treat each other, how we act and behave in our communities, how we feel about our communities. It's not easy to find people who necessarily fit that mold out in the market. There are plenty of great people out there, don't get me wrong, but we're just different. I think we're unique. And I came to a conclusion about four years ago that we're a growing company. When I started, we had 37 employees. We're up to 58. When I started, we were 1.3 billion in assets under management. We're over 2.3 billion assets under management. So we are growing and I fully intended for us to continue to grow. 
And then I realized as we were looking for people, we couldn't really find the right person. And it wasn't about technical scale. There's a lot of smart people, but it was about the soft skills, the fit within the culture, within the organization. So we made a strategic decision four years ago is that we want to invest in our young colleagues and we want to groom our own talent and we want to instill the set of values that we stand for right from the start. So we started looking for quality people who wanted to learn, who wanted to work hard, wanted to have a good time who had the capacity to learn, and we wanted to make that investment in them to give them the tools to be successful. No, entirely makes sense. I've been the benefactor of many of those opportunities. And so as a younger employee, I couldn't be happier. I think back to a couple other firms that I've also worked for, and just the sheer amount of opportunities certainly takes you back a little bit. I can certainly notice since joining, putting a heavy emphasis is definitely a good ROI to go put an investment term out there. But besides the point, uh, another interesting thing that I witnessed is in a big investment that you've made into facilities within here. Sometimes people go think, okay, facility is just a good place that you work, but it can mean so much more in regards to maybe how you work better, maybe work a little more efficiently, but then also, are you happier at work? And so why do you go decide to go take on those larger capital outlays? I'm sure people would be fine working at an office that might be 25 or 30 years outdated, but I go take a look at office suite that I'm at right now in our Midland office, and it's very nice. It's very modern. It's very sleek in here. And so why decide to take on those larger capital outlays versus maybe doing something else with them? There's a couple of reasons for that. Obviously, we needed to facilitate the growth. So we needed office space. We're also very community oriented. So we wanted to make an impact on our communities and how important downtown activity is for every city. Every city's got a downtown development authority and people are encouraging work in downtown. When you take a look at our investments and facilities, whether it's in Midland, it's in Saginaw, whether it's in Lansing and Frankenmuth, we were very cognizant in wanting to be downtown and wanting to have an economic impact in downtown. So just to piggyback on what you said about Midland, we own the building in Midland and we needed space. And I wanted to make sure that we provide a quality space and we are attracting people to downtown. Because if you have 20 people, we go from seven, eight people in Midland to 20 people in Midland, all of a sudden that's additional 13, 14 people that go grab a lunch, grab a drink after work, and then it stimulates the economic activity. It's not huge. It's not like we're talking about hundreds of people, but still 14 people is 14 people. The other thing that it was more of a philosophy for me is we are dealing with pandemic. And as I thought about, and I've read so many articles on working from home, remote work, there are people who are against it, there are people who are for it, et cetera, et cetera. And what we always felt that we're such a relationship-based organization that it was important for us to continue to build relationship with each other, to learn from each other. I use this statement, and I've said it before to one of my colleagues, is that I understand that you can work from home and you can be very effective and efficient in working from home, but you're as a senior leader of this organization. And for the benefit, you asked me the question about investing in our younger colleagues. Part of the investment is not just opportunities, but it's also the ability to see the older leaders or the more seasoned leaders to provide guidance. You learn by seeing. And I used it when I joined TriStar. It was incredible that even at my level, I was learning and continue to learn from my colleagues because I listen to the way they speak to their clients. I listen to the way they speak to each other. And I've learned tremendously about the level of care for our clients and for each other. And if I was working from home, I would never be able to see it. So we had the desire for our colleagues to be working in the office. 
So then I started thinking about it and I said, okay, why do people want to work from home? And so there's a variety of reasons. I don't know that your podcast is long enough to cover all of those reasons. But the one thing that hit me was we need to create a space where people want to go to the office, where it's nice, where they can separate. And sometimes it can get a little blurry when you're working from home because you almost never stop working. So you can separate, but you need to create a nice facilities for people to want to hop in the car, want to spend the time in the car to go to the office because they're learning there with their colleagues, but they also have what I like to call nice digs where they can work. So that's why I felt the investment was worth it to create an environment that people are happy to work at. I can attest to it being one of the lucky people to sit down here in the nice new digs that we have here. So as of January 1st, You've obviously been promoted now to CEO, so congrats on the promotion. What are you most looking forward to now that you are the CEO? It's a great question. And quite frankly, I have an executive coach that I've been working with for over a year now, and he asked me the question as to why do I want to be a CEO? And besides the fact that taking a look at what we stand for as an organization, I want to continue to have the positive impact we have. But there are four things that come to mind. One is, I believe that our product is extremely powerful. I believe that everybody benefits from our product. And I almost see it as a moral responsibility to make sure that we make that product available to as many people as possible. I talk about financial health as being as important as physical health. People go to a doctor, or they should anyway, to get their annual checkups, to make sure that everything is okay. How many times do you hear of families that are struggling for money, who are worried about money? Money-related problems can impact communities, families, relationships. And I believe that our product is so strong that if people were to do business with us, their lives would be significantly better. You start with financial planning, you get a plan in place, you know exactly where you're at, you get a path, and then you don't have to worry about it. You just follow the path, and now you can focus on the more important things in life that bring you joy. And I just think it's extremely powerful. So I'm really looking forward to spreading that and being able to share those products and services with our clients and potential clients. The other thing that I'm really looking forward to is our impact on our communities. And I realize that we're in a wealth management business. As I said, we went from 37 to 58 employees. The likelihood of us having a huge economic impact on our communities is unlikely. If we were to move, the communities are going to continue. So it's not necessarily the volume of people, even though our people, we have a tremendous team and we are impacting our communities in so many ways by volunteering and doing all sorts of things. But the one thing that we can do is be impactful through donations and money. So it's not just providing leadership to non-for-profits, but also the more money we make, we make it a point to, as we make more money as an organization, we give more money away as an organization. So to be able to grow our foundation, to be able to grow our organization, to be able to give more away to support our communities. It's extremely important to me. The other reason that I'm looking forward to is you talked about investing in the younger employees, our younger colleagues, but I want to continue to push the envelope as it relates to the quality of life of our employees and our colleagues. We're working really hard to be a conscious company and People talk about work-life balance. I like to call it work-life harmony. I want to make sure that there is a harmonious relationship between life and work. And to be able to provide, even if it's just tangible and intangible benefits for our colleagues to have a good time, to look forward to coming to work, to be self-fulfilled, to grow, to learn, but also have the appropriate time off and appropriate flexibility, et cetera, et cetera. 
I, that's very important to me. The next one is I enjoy creating value. I enjoy making money for our shareholders. I enjoy the fact that our employees do have, not all of them, but their employees at a certain level have the opportunity to purchase stock in our organization. And I'm really looking forward to creating value. So when we can turn that investment that they make in this organization, we can make them, I don't want to call it rich, but we can help them and assist them in the retirement years by just finding ways how to increase their value. So those are four things that I'm really looking forward to as I go. Certainly the future is looking very bright for TriStar. And so now moving into my favorite part of our interview, the lightning round of questions. And so Pavel, what would you say is your most important daily habit? You prepped me for this one and I actually don't know. I don't think I actually have one. The one habit that this probably is not going to get your listeners any huge insight or awakening or something like that. My most important habit is actually not daily, but it's a weekly habit. I have an 11-year-old son. I pick my boy up from school every single Friday. And every single Friday, I pick him up and we go to a local sports bar. He gets fries and water. I get a beer and we sit there and we talk for about 45 minutes and then we go home. And we've been doing it ever since he was in kindergarten. We are doing it even during the summer when he's at camps. But every Friday, I go get him from wherever he is and we just have fun. I'm dreading the moment when he grows up and hanging out with his dad is not going to be cool anymore. And so I'm enjoying every single minute of it. I could certainly see that. And so what's your favorite TV or streaming show that you're currently watching or have recently? Yellowstone was one that I really enjoyed. But ultimately, we talked about me playing tennis. I'm a jock. I love sports. So anytime I watch TV, 75% of the time, I just watch sports on TV. Sports are good too. You always get new live action. And so, Pavel, if you can remember for just one thing, what would it be? I think what I would like to be remembered for, that I was just an easygoing, understanding, and open-minded person that has just been supportive of everybody's desires to just do good, to do better, and to better themselves. Definitely. And so, Pavel, for those people who want to learn more about yourself or TriStar, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? Certainly, visit our website. Our marketing director did a tremendous job with our website. And actually, that's also what makes us different is because we're people and we're pretty transparent and we're open. So there's a lot of information on our website. And obviously, from there, you can contact us in a variety of ways, whether it's email, phone, cell phones, you name it. If you want to find us, you'll find us. Perfect. Thank you, Pavel. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another great episode of Mint Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Pavel. Thank you. You've been listening to Mint and Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com.